Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, my guest is Mike Kaplan. Now, Mike Kaplan is a stand-up comedian from America. Um, He's come over to the UK for a week to do a few shows and things, and we decided to have a chat. Now, any regular viewers will know this is actually an extra long version of the podcast um, because normally I'd split it into two, um, but this week, because Mike is actually in the UK the next couple of days, his first show is on the 26th of February, um, we've decided to just release it all in one go. Now, in this chat, we speak about a wide range of things. Um, We not only talk about, obviously, Mike's stand-up and how he sort of got into stand-up comedy, um, as well as some of his other pursuits, including music and things, Um, but we also speak about morality, philosophy, um, mind-controlling mushrooms, and we talk about free will and determinism, um, just generally sort of being nice and things, um, how our thought processes work, the sort of Zen proverb, chop wood, carry water, privilege, perspectives, linguistics and word choices, and loads more more so there's enough to get your teeth into now i've included the details of mike's shows as well as a lot of his social media and things in the description so be sure to check that out um and before the chat gets started it'll be a quick promo by the witch murderer podcast who are also part of the brit pod scene just like genuine chit chat is um and then we'll get right into the show so thanks as always for listening guys and as usual i'll be back at the end after the chat to talk about upcoming episodes and more details hi i'm holly and i'm Gemma. And together we are the co-hosts of the podcast Witch Murderer. Each week we discuss two murders and we try and focus more on the victim's perspective. Oh my god, that's not who I thought was going to die. Let's <laughs> just blame it all on Tom Cruise. Yeah. And just math stumps me at every turn, <laughs> even in dismemberment. We all know she was cut in half. He had projectile pooped. Oh no! The entire room. Planet. Will they ever get along? God damn it, fucking get along, eat an ice cream cone. <laughs> You're going to make so many enemies, and I love it. How many times do I have to say, if you're going to murder people, don't keep a don't fucking keep a diary. diary? Don't keep a diary. I really didn't want to be frozen to death. When Ten. were you born, honey? No, I'm not telling you. I don't like the thought of somebody who's selling ice cream being that angry inside. And then we have ourselves a little debate at the end about which murderer we would want to kill us if we had to choose. If we had to choose. It's a game of which would you rather. Exactly. And if you fancy playing that along with us, You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, You can also listen to us on Audioboom and our website, witchmurderer.com. And you can always get in contact with us at Twitter and Instagram at witchmurderer and also witchmurderer at gmail.com. So hopefully you'll be listening to us soon. Bye. Goodbye. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. I am joined today by Mike Kaplan. Um, He is a stand-up comedian, and hello there, Mike. Hello, thanks for having me. No worries at all. Uh, Thank you for reaching out. And um, we'll say it at the start, and we'll say it at the end as well, but... uh, the reason that one of the reasons that we end up essentially talking was because uh, you're coming to the UK and you're doing a couple of uh, shows. So why don't you throw them out there at the start and then we'll get on with it. 
Absolutely. Now, with everyone having absolutely no uh, understanding of who I am or why, it's sort of like clapping at the beginning of a comedy show, like a round of applause for what you're about to see, you know, optimistically, uh, should, should everything go according to plan as desired uh, for the people who want. I will be at the Soho, uh, Soho Theater on February 26th, Tuesday through March 2nd. Uh, Saturday, that's uh, 2019. So uh, thanks for uh, listening and coming out uh, to those shows if you do. No worries. I'll put all the dates and uh, what on the description and things. And um, if there's any links, if there's any links or anything like that, you can um, fire them my way over email and that sort of jazz. Um, but, you know, you are a stand-up comedian, which is incredibly interesting in amongst itself. Um, but you also are a podcaster. Um, and you also, from listening to some of your podcasts, you've also... You're, well, would you class yourself as a musician? Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I've I've played music my almost entire conscious life. Uh, my parents were music teachers, and so I started taking violin lessons when I was four, and uh, I did that through all of my childhood. I played in orchestras and different groups, uh, mainly the violin, and then in high school, taught myself guitar. Uh, and then that's actually what led me to comedy as well. Uh, I just had some funny songs and started playing them. Uh, so I professionally, I don't make my living via music. So uh, if somebody said, you know, fill out your on a uh, a form where I had to put my occupation, I wouldn't put musician. But if you said informally, if nobody's gonna uh, be auditing me, then uh, <laughs> then I would say yes. I, I I'm definitely a musician, much more than people who aren't musicians, and maybe a little less than people who are musicians. <laughs> Very concise. That's great. And um, with your with your podcast as well, the uh, the intro uh, music and outro music is that actually made by yourself. Yes, uh, I I did all of that. I've uh, a friend of uh, uh, of mine and I uh, actually a few different friends and I have like made like we and you know, we both like making music and uh, have friends who have podcasts. So sometimes when uh, we've I've co-written like uh, maybe almost probably a dozen different podcast themes, including a few for myself and for a lot of friends. Oh, nice, nice, and also um the. A lot of people are going to basically see, obviously, who you are as in MYQ. Um, is that uh, is that like your actual like birth name, or is that sort of a thing to make you stand out a little bit more out of interest? Uh, great question. Uh, it's a, a question that what if I what if I told you no one's ever asked me anything about it before? Uh, I would think you're lying. <laughs> yeah, that would be an absolute. That yeah, we're on the same page. Uh, it, but it is actually interesting the way that you asked. I like because it was it's neither my birth name nor something that I chose uh, specifically for like you know search engine optimization. It, it I mean I guess it's closer to the second because when I was a teenager. Uh, I was uh, at a summer camp. I don't know. Uh, I know there were, there's a lot of uh, British counselors would come, like like a, a sort of a 21 year olds would come over from England, and I guess you know they would get kind of a deal to see some of America. And one then, of my mates like, did that. One of my yeah. friends who's been on this podcast has actually done that. Yeah, he went over there, met his uh, now ex, but he met a guy <laughs> over there who he was with for a while, and he said it was fantastic over there. Uh, yeah. So I definitely. So I don't know how. Like, if there are also like if summer camp is a thing or is not as much a thing in the uk itself or if everyone's just shipping over here we don't get much for summer to be honest with you we uh, get a lot of it's like slightly brighter but it's very very unpredictable uh so it's not it's not quite as concise sometimes it's like oh it's summer vaguely let's book a barbecue for a two weeks time is it oh that might be you know is it going to be drizzle on that day it's like it's the middle of july is it yes exactly that's the problem 
Uh, so might as well just come to uh, Connecticut uh, in July in America. Uh, but yeah, so I was there. It was an art, a performing and creative arts summer camp. And I was sort of blossoming as, a, you know, an adolescent, like learning how to be a human being, how to have friends, how to, you know, create uh, the art that I cared about, uh, which, you know, I was sort of made to play the violin. And that wasn't my favorite thing. But I started first painting and then writing and then, you know, playing the guitar and making music that I did care about. And at the same time, uh, so I feel like there was all these creative juices flowing. And then uh, Prince changed his name to a symbol around that time uh, when I was probably like 14-ish. And uh, I, I thought that was like, that guy's weird and cool. He's doing a strange <laughs> thing. Like, I'm strange. I'll do a strange thing. And so it was like initially sort of inspired by just the idea of like, you know, becoming a new person, like having like a new identity, like, you know, choosing choosing a name, choosing a, a persona or something at the time that uh, I was just like, oh, this, this is weird and fun. I, you know, I since would go on, I would go on to uh, be study linguistics. I would get a graduate degree in linguistics. So like words and letters and, you know, like sort of the math of language were always things that interested me. Uh, and so at that time, I was just like, oh, yeah, why not? Uh, if you can, why not spell a thing a different way? Why not say a thing a different way? Why not, you know, try to uh, perhaps as a comedian as well, you know, seeing the world uh, in different perspectives, seeing the same thing uh, from different angles. So that was a thing that, uh, yes, I I did it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. OK. Um, well it's one of the things with your with your stand-up comedy uh one of the things i implore people to go out and check it's on um it's on amazon so you can check it it's called um small dork and handsome isn't it yes yeah and um that you are very clever with your i think a lot of british listeners especially will really like your comedy because it's very much uh it sounds really silly to say out loud but like word orientated like the way you say things and like alternative wording and um i'm not saying i'm a stand-up comedian or even funny in any way but like what i like to do with certain words and things is just replace words of other things like um one thing i do which people it's, it's a nice conversation starter um if i'm ever out drinking or whatever and i need the loo i'll say oh, i'm going to the lavatory or i'm going to the water closet or something like or sometimes the urination station and ah. those if i say any of those things people get like a lot of people think it's you know, mildly amusing and things which is mainly the the point of it but a lot of people get like, really weirded out and they go what the lavatory so well, technically that is what it's called like it is odd for me like a you know, a 25 year old person in you know 2019 to say lavatory but i, I do quite like swapping out words and uh, many other uh, things that me and my friends do. do do you do that sort of thing a lot as well or is it like your interest in words obviously you did a thing in linguistics uh uh some sort of qualification in that so two half questions sending away <laughs> oh yeah uh no i i do i do some similar things like here i have a i think i have a lot to say about this uh Good. so the fir first a thing that i do that's in one way, exactly like what you do, and in another way, uh, the opposite, because it's about uh, taking in food and drink as opposed to the elimination thereof. But uh, similarly, like when I sometimes go to a restaurant, uh, and it's it's interesting. Also, I'll I'll disclaim I'll, I'll disclaimers within disclaimers here. I'll I, I'll aim to complete all the parentheticals, but. Uh, for me, like listening to you, I you are a British person, I am an American person, and so there are already some things that 
you know, you might say that would strike me as not the standard thing to say because, but that would be standard for you. So like if we were out at a pub and you're like, I'm going to hit the lavatory, I I wouldn't be like, what? (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, I guess British people say lavatory sometimes. And then if I never met another British person that ever did it, then I might be like, oh, that's one weird British person. But (laughs) But right now, I you know I could be just thinking like, oh, all British people are weird, uh, <laughs> or maybe all British people are normal and all Americans are weird, or certainly I'm weird. But obviously, there can be you know on a on a graph you could have uh, many quadrants of weird to not weird. And in some ways, I think everyone everyone does have some weird things. Some people don't know what their weird things are. Like, and I think maybe one of the the jobs or like delights of being a comedian is to realize like how rich one's own life might be when you're like, oh, that thing, like the way that I was raised, either in my family, in my community, in my country, in my culture, like things that I thought were like, oh, everyone does those things, and then you find out, oh, everyone doesn't do those things. Uh, sometimes. And then you're like, oh, well, I guess then that's funny. Like, oh, my, you know, whether it's certain, sometimes they're painful things. Sometimes they're things that you get over, challenges. But uh, to, to answer your question, so uh, to continue to, to never answer your question, uh, sometimes when I go into a restaurant, uh, instead of saying, like, if I'm there, let's say, with a friend and we're going to eat dinner, I will, instead of saying, like, um, you know, a table for two, please. I'd say that would be, that's like the the standard thing to say in that situation. Uh, I might say two for eating, please. And that's a thing that uh, is not, I don't think most people say that. And I do it because it is fun. And because uh, I never want to add like more trouble for people, especially, you know, people working in the service industry, like people working at restaurants, they have a lot to deal with. I've, I worked as a, you know, a barista selling coffee for years and it was always fun when people would be playful and also, you know, get to the point, you know, like so that if you knew what was, what you wanted to communicate and the communication could happen as desired, but also there could be a bonus fun thing. Like the, here's an analogy. Like when I was a kid, Uh, I had a lot of T-shirts that had like either, you know, fun writing on them or fun pictures on them. And then like I feel like that continued through college. Like sometimes you get a free T-shirt for signing up for a credit card or something like, oh, cool T-shirt at at a certain point. I, I don't care. I, I don't know that much about fashion. And so I would have like girlfriends who would once in a while uh, be like, we should get you some like nice clothing. And so a lot of the nice clothing that I've had over the years was like through the help of uh, people who knew better than me at the time about like what would look good. Be like, you know, don't wear that T-shirt. And so I'm only now like I'm 40 years old now. And uh, in the past years, I'm like, oh, there's like, so I can I can wear like fun t-shirts again if I want to in certain circumstances. Like I there's this t-shirt company called like Sure Design T-shirts, and they have like some shirts that have trees on them or owls or different animals, and they're kind of like psychedelic like in a little bit, and they they're like beautiful, and they're sort of like there's like art on the shirt, and so I feel like, do you know there's this. Uh, uh, this Zen koan or this Zen uh, idea called chop wood, carry water, which is uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. And that's sort of a, a metaphor for, you know, 
a lot of different things. Like, for example, like, how do you do comedy? Like, well, if you're starting out doing comedy, you just write and you perform as much as possible, even though you don't know what you're doing. And then through the course of doing it, you learn by doing and then you attain some measure of at least more enlightenment than you had before you'd ever done anything. And you're like, oh, now I get it a little bit. Now I get what I'm doing. And now the secret is keep doing what I was doing the, you know, <laughs> put in the work, you know, just keep doing the time and, you know, putting in that energy and those resources. And like, cause there is no grander, greater secret. There is no like ultimate final dimension that you enter. It's always just putting in the work and time and doing the effort. And so similarly, I feel like, uh, being a child, you know, you're maybe being a child is like, you know, you don't know what you're doing. And then you go through adolescence, you become a young adult. And like, there's never any point where you're like, aha, finally, I've learned everything. But sometimes the point of being an adult, or one of the points or one of the, the joys of being an adult is discovering, like, if as an artist, as a comedian, as a musician, like tapping back into like the childlike wonder that one had, you know, when you were doing it, like not self-consciously, when you didn't know that you might be judged for the art that you were making or the work that you were creating and then to hopefully just have that as an adult knowing that there will be people who do that but not caring as much so you sort of have the same pattern of starting by just doing it then becoming aware and like knowing something be like oh now oh no maybe i should stop but then after that being like, no don't stop keep going keep doing what you were doing as a younger person so similarly with t-shirts uh, I was like, you know, as a kid, just wear whatever, whatever my parents bought me, whatever looked good in my drawer. And then eventually when other people were like, you know, you could look in a, you know, you're, you're a grown up now, be a grown up. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll dress like a grown up now. And now I'm on the other side of that. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't care about being a quote unquote grown up. I care about being, you know, a kind human being and a, you know, a productive member of society. And, uh, you know, I, I care about treating people and myself uh, and the world as uh, best I can. And also, if so, I could wear a blank shirt or I could wear a shirt with a fun thing on it. I could go into a restaurant and say things normally and let people have their ordinary experience, which is just fine, or could have like a bonus experience of getting the same information communicated with also then being like, eh, why not? Here's also if you want to have fun, you can. And if not, you can just show me to my table. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Exactly. And <clears throat> I mean, with that, as I do me and my uh, friend Reese, especially we do that sort of thing all the time. Like we, we do a thing which is just it's really simple and nine times out of 10 people understand what we're saying. But it's things like um, if we were going to Scotland or something, we wouldn't just say we're going to Scotland, just saying go to the land of Scots, which obviously that makes sense. But then you do other things like, um, oh, yeah, I'm going back to the land of Eng. And they're like, what? I was England. So that oh. sort of yeah that sort of ridiculousness of just depending on who i'm with will depend on what i say that to because some people you say it to and they just have no idea what the hell you're saying but most of my friends just either appreciate it with a sigh or just don't, <laughs> just don't even make any kind of uh vocal acknowledgement at all just kind of let's pretend i didn't say something stupid like that um but it is interesting you said about the um sort of growing up in the adolescence and that sort of thing because um it made me think of an an analogy that i've uh, i've got maybe it's an analogy i've heard somewhere else and completely stealing it but i think it's original but let's find out if you've heard it or not um it, it's it works in uh, many facets like um i imagine it would work uh, when it comes to comedy but it works in like um, a lot of things but the main way it works is um being a child being a teenager being an adult now obviously teenagers a lot of the time and especially sort of preteens, think they know everything in a way i myself definitely definitely guilty of this um and as you become an, an adult you realize you know nothing essentially and the more you actually find out the more you realize you actually don't know um 
the analogy I give for that is almost like um, your entire life you've got this like sort of almost this door of adulthood in your way sort of thing and there's a, there's a little keyhole and when you're a kid you can just kind of peek through the keyhole you can kind of jump and look through it and you can barely see it and then when you get to like a preteen or a teenager you can actually stand up and you can just without really having to try you can just look through that keyhole for ages and at that point that's normally when teenagers are like oh i know all this i, I know everything you know that sort of mentality and then what happens is when you're actually like an air quotes an adult whenever that is um you someone then opens the door and then you step into the door and you realize it wasn't just a room that you were looking into that you thought you know you look through the keyhole you think you know every detail about that room because you look through the keyhole and then the door opens and it's a room that's bigger than comprehension like bigger than a thousand castles and it's just completely full of an incredible amount of things and that's when you kind of realize oh shit i i really thought i knew a lot and then i just know nothing at all is that kind of what it's like with uh comedy you have interest or uh, sort of music and things like that other sort of uh passions that you've pursued uh i'll say short answer yes long answer yes i don't know who's <laughs> that's somebody's joke and i love it that one for sure uh it, it's funny to think of like things that are original versus quote-unquote not original because also like we didn't neither of us like invent language we didn't create these words like you know the of course that doesn't mean that you can't you know copyright something or construct a sentence that had never been constructed before but also in some ways you know all ideas like nothing is original and everything is and everything is just sort of flowing through you know this incarnation this body this mind this consciousness uh and it's made of things that you know you were a baby and you had never heard anything and then people talked around you and then you heard words and ideas and then started potentially constructing and formulating your own new ones here's a a brief tangent uh I read about some, like, I think rats that were in um, given mazes and they were doing experiments on the rats and looking at their brains while they were running the maze and then while they dreamed. And the if a rat did one maze, then it would dream of that maze at night sometimes. And they could tell, like, it looked like it was running through the maze in its mind. And then sometimes they would have a rat go through two different mazes. And then sometimes it would dream of one maze, sometimes it would dream of the other, and sometimes it would dream of something completely distinct from either of those mazes, meaning that they had been sort of constructing and combining and creating like brand new pathways that had never existed because now they've gone through two different things. And that's, I think, what it's also like to be a human being. Like if somebody tells you the... the one idea if you look into one room if you have you know one language at your disposal one art form one tool or one set of tools then you have like one modality of thinking and if you have if you add another to it it's not now that it doubles but it sort of multiplies and maybe increases uh you know mathematically or geometrically or uh geometrically seems like a subset of mathematically uh as well and uh so i i'm def i'm good with uh words and i got a math minor so my my limitations uh exist uh i was like ooh <laughs> that set i started that sentence and i was like i've and i've reached the end of it but uh <laughs> yeah i think it, another point a question or yeah another point or question for the your analogy which i hadn't heard before but does make complete sense uh for like I feel like life in general and so many subsets of it but like imagine I'm imagining like the the kid like when you're a kid looking through it or when you're a teenager and the door opens and it might not even be a, it might be just outside it might be like the rest of the world like literally in some ways you were probably in a room in a house you were mm. confined you were like oh this is everything in your <laughs> in your home in your town 
in your community. You know, like think about we're we're so in some ways fortunate, uh, at least in this way that we have access to. You know, like if we were born, you know, a thousand years ago, you and I would probably never have met, never have talked, never been able to. Uh, most people, I think, I when I in America, I went to. Uh, where was it? It was Thomas Jefferson's, uh, I think, you know, childhood home or adulthood home, maybe his whole life home, uh, mm-hmm. Monte, uh, Monticello, Monticello. And uh, I think that I was told it was like maybe a two-story house or maybe a three-story house. And I was told that the people who grew up around there, uh, that would have been the, the tallest building they ever saw because most people at that time never left I'd think either a 20 or 40 mile radius of where they were born just in their entire lives. Very few people would go farther than 20 to 40 miles. I forget which one it was, but either way, let's say 40. They wouldn't, it would be a very rare person to go out into the world at all. So, and the fact is that you, we don't know what our limitations are. We don't know what our blind spots are until, you know, like if you have your family, you might think like, oh, every dad is like my dad. Every mom is like my mom. Then you meet somebody and they're like, I have two moms. I have two dads. I have a non-binary parent. I have three parents. I have no no parents. I have, you know, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize. And, you know, as a, you know, as a person in my, in my society, I'm a white person, a man, a, a heterosexual person. Uh, I have all of these, uh, you know, privileges uh, that I didn't know. I'm like swimming with all of the currents, you know. Uh, I'm told uh, by my family, by by society, like, oh, you you can do anything, you can be anything, and it seems like I'm like, oh wow, we can do anything. Like it seems like we're telling everyone that. It seems like every child grows up like that. It seems like that because I grew up like that. But then I'm learning from you know from other people, from my girlfriend who talks to me about her experience as a woman, which isn't always the same. Uh, listening to people of color talk about their experiences, which certainly in many relevant ways to being alive aren't the same uh that of course i mean it's interesting that i i know that even you know i'm the the limitations that we we all face limitations but we all face different limitations and on different scopes and scales and so yes to answer your question it certainly seems like uh like similarly i'll i'll say to start with comedy and when you start with comedy you're like a child in a room you don't know what you're doing you're kind of feeling around you're just like ah i don't know uh this maybe and maybe you find one thing that works and then you start doing that thing and then maybe you know i mean even for i guess i can only talk about it i'll i can speak for myself uh when i started doing comedy it was all just like one line jokes, one just one idea at a time. And I would say it and it would either work or it wouldn't. And maybe I would try to reorder the words if I thought it was a funny idea. And but I was just like I, I would say it exactly as I planned it. And it was just, you know, kind of like I loved Mitch Hedberg. I loved Stephen Wright and Emo Phillips and Dimitri Martin. And I was like, these guys, you know, it's just like each joke was like a little math equation. And then maybe four years into comedy, uh, I I was doing, I was, you know, getting better. I w- and it seemed like a numbers game. It seemed like science. Like if I write a thousand things and I try them as many out as I can, I find out which ones have maybe the most potential initially. And I try those more and I fix those up. And then if I keep writing a thousand jokes every month or year or whatever, however long it takes to make them, eventually I'll just by sheer force of numbers have enough. Uh, I'll keep, I'll build an act. And then and I would do that like one line at a time, one joke at a time, one chunk at a time. 
And then four years in, I saw, do you know the comedian Rory Scovel? Uh, I'm afraid I don't know. Oh, he's don't be afraid. He <laughs> is. Yeah, no need to fear. He's not okay. a scary man. But okay. his, I've got his my comedy, safety blanket. Oh yes, yes. Uh, Rory is wonderful. Uh, he has. Uh, I don't know if we have the exact same. Uh, you know, things available on Netflix, but in America, uh, he has a special on Netflix that I think is actually called Rory Scovel does comedy for the first time or does stand up for the first time, which uh, is not the truth. He. <laughs> Uh, many years before he recorded that special, uh, which I think is a funny name for a special, uh, we performed at this Seattle comedy competition together uh, in about 2006. And the competition was uh, maybe 15 of us in, e- in each of two weeks. And so I was every night for like maybe six nights in one week, we 15 people would perform in different orders in different venues around the Seattle, Washington area. And we would, most people would do the same five minute set every night, you know, and you would perform for different judges, different audiences, uh, you know, in a biker bar one night, at a college the next night, you know, in front of, you know, at a country club and or at a just weird, different weird venues, you know, to try and test people in front of different circumstances. I thought it was a cool idea. Uh, And so most people were just like, I'll be the control. I'll have my comedy be the control in all of these variable situations because that's kind of, you know, in some ways, like, we're, we, we aren't one thing. We're always growing and changing and shifting. But at the time, that's a thing that I think a child thinks and then also some adults. And it's useful. It's a, a, a useful, like sort of constructed fiction to be like, here is who I am. And not to say that people's identities are fictions even, but uh, they're certainly in some ways constructs. And, and sometimes they're useful and practical and sometimes they're not. Because also, you know, if your identity at one point was child, at some point you're like, well, I, I'm an adult, but I still identify as child in some ways. Maybe that's useful and valuable too, or at least to have the conversation. But what Rory did that was different than most other people was he would do a different set every night. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the same jokes in a different order. Sometimes at the end of a joke, he would like live in the world of that joke like longer and like sort of play in sort of the the sandbox of the joke and find new things and create new things, build new castles and like go into them and live there. And he would move around each space and find things in the places and he would just be in the moment and he would riff and create in a way that he isn't, you know, that isn't, he does it in a way that's unique to him, but riffing isn't unique to him. And so, but it was to me a foreign idea at the time because I was, I was basically uh, sort of trained to, or I had trained myself to like write comedy as symphonies you know to be like but he was you know a jazz improviser and those are while jazz and uh, classical are both genres of music they're both valid uh you don't you don't hear as much about like genres of comedy other than maybe you think about like political comedy observational comedy but ultimately every comedian is uh, hopefully their own genre and you might have you know some tools that other people use or other skills but you know Rory is Rory and I ideally I'm I am me and I am a, a growing changing self and so one of the big paradigm shifts one like door that I had been you know that I I didn't even realize I could go through uh, and be outside or in this place was to be like oh I can also in addition to writing and preparing all the jokes that I want to like let's say if an idea didn't go the way that I wanted it to, I could keep living in the world of that joke. I could keep talking about it. I could keep, you know, finding more, I, you know, pretty much, you know, 
writing on writing on stage was a thing that I had never done that I started doing, which is a much shorter way to tell that story. But it definitely did seem like a whole world opened, which also then sort of touches on other uh, like related things that would come up only like years and years later in my life. Like a few years ago, I started meditating. Like I'd heard about meditation, you know, lots of my life. Like it's a word that we were from. I think most people are familiar with after a certain point, but it, it, I had an idea of it, like sort of a, you know, a, a premeditated idea. Uh, uh, of, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> of what it was. And that, that's something that uh, I sincerely never thought about that like that. I, you know, never came at this topic from this direction. But the idea that I had was, I guess, just somebody sitting and being like ohm and like relaxing or whatever, you know, whatever the, your stereotype of a meditating person might be. But I thought like, oh, well, I've got too many things to do. There's too much stuff. There's too many like TV shows to watch and too many experiences to have. I can't have like nothing be the experience. But, you know, meditate. the experience of meditating is not nothing, even if it is sometimes like letting go of letting go of anxieties, letting go of, you know, thoughts that uh, could control you or could. Uh, you know, grab you for, you know, longer than they need to just sort of like noting thoughts and being present, being like, oh, yes, there's that. And now there's this and that's okay. And, you know, everybody, everybody has different like needs and desires. Like some people might want to relax more. Some people might want to buckle down more or regardless of what they want, they might need to. And so I think that discovering that like new tool in comedy was also a matter of becoming more present, learning that I could be more present. Uh, and that is something that I think is unique to, I mean, unique in that it's the only thing that there is. There's only like one thing, which is, you know, the here and now and being present. Uh, but also it is then not unique as it's, you know, can arise in any, like any walk of life, whether you're an artist, a musician, a comedian, uh, a writer, or just in a conversation with a person, if you're just in in a moment talking to a friend about being uh, returning to the land of Aang, which also, uh, it's funny because that's sort of a, a back formation uh, that if you go far enough back, like it, England is named after the land of Angles or Anglos, I believe. Yeah, like Anglo-Saxons uh, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's also it's not as far. It's like sometimes there are jokes that it seems like there's a double meaning, but it's really just the same meaning from like two having like far like divergent points in like the in the words histories. Like there's do you know the this knock knock? There's a knock knock joke. It's like knock knock. Who's there? Uh, Egypt. Egypt. Who? And it's a Egypt me out of my money or something. And do you know the the verb to gyp like G Y P? Uh, no, I don't. Ah, it's in- so this joke won't even make sense to you as a joke <laughs> because so that it it's sort of a now it's a kind of a slur that comes from the root of like gypsy, like you know the, oh, the idea yes. that that gypsies. We as- call it gypo over here. If, ah. if you're, so that's probably why it's like a uh, slight. unknowing what it was there you go oh yeah (laughs) and so egypt the place was also named from that same root which from which gypsy or gypo comes so in fact like the double meaning like isn't present at all and also the word like that verb is sort of like a a slur uh upon the the people the roma people who aren't all going around you know robbing putting spells stealing babies Uh, (laughs) um but uh like so similarly 
uh, whatever. And that's a great analogy to whatever I was just talking about a second earlier. Perfect. And yes, it was. Well, there's a lot of things to unpack there, which I'm going to try my best. Please. So the first thing is, uh, I just checked. Um, can you just to clarify? Because we're obviously um, going over. Like, can you see me? Uh, by the way like i can off, see uh, you okay cool when i was looking down i don't really think i was bored i was checking on my phone on netflix uh, the rory uh showfield thing is on the uk netflix so there's uh, no reason for me or anyone else listening to not check it out oh yeah um yep so uh yeah it is here yeah, try stand up for the first time so we'll definitely i'll make sure i check that out at some point um so that was one thing another thing which i, I god damn there's about a billion topics i can think of just from that one <laughs> that one uh thing that you just said i, I can think about a hundred things um one thing was uh, that I'll ask you, the way you think makes me think that you think the way I think, which is a really weird thing to say. And it's almost like saying, hey, you're, inte- you're intelligent, you're a stand-up comedian, you're a musician, you're interesting. So am I. Ha <laughs> ha. It's not quite like that. But I think what you do, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is what I do is I'll think of, a, of like an end point of the point I'm trying to make and I'll start on that. And then there'll be so many tangents in my brain of like how many things I could get. I almost get distracted by my own tangents of what I want to talk about. And what I often do is I'll half start something and then it'll go off to another thing and then it'll go off to another thing and it would just kind of dot around all over. And then by the time I get to the end, I'm just like, I can't even remember my initial point because there's, and when I have a conversation with someone a lot of the time, <clears throat> when I'm even talking now, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking of two or three other things uh, may or may not be related. Usually I like, what's the next jumping off point from my brain? And maybe that's what some people say. I'm a, a pretty good conversationalist, but I can tell that you definitely are by uh, your podcast and things. Is that kind of how you think your brain works? Almost like the ADHD of your own thought process, if that makes sense. It, that is a good question. Uh, and I will say, uh, I also have a lot of things that I want to say in response um, so like when you, when you see, you know, you see me, you see, like, it's interesting because you, you have access to your insides and you have access to some of my outsides, you know, and some of my insides as I release them out, you know, and we get to, you know, determine by what people are saying and how they're saying what they're saying and what they're not saying. You're like, oh, like clearly it must've been, it must've been important for you to say this thing in this way, or if not important, you know, you, there's, there's reasons. There's at least some reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, I think there's a, there's a thing that my girlfriend uh, introduced me to the concept that now I've sort of seen a lot of places, which makes sense given what it is, but it's that we we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Uh, mm. And like, for example, there's there's a TV show called Justified uh, that I like a lot. Uh, and I, I was reminded recently of a char- the main character said to somebody once, if you meet an asshole in the morning, uh, you met one asshole. If you meet assholes all day, you're the asshole. Mm. And it's because it's like the idea that, you know, if you went around being like, man, everything seems like this. Well, you're the common denominator. Like if you're like all of my exes are evil, you know, <laughs> everyone, everyone did something bad. I mean, it could be it could be that you're like the most unlucky person, but it's 
often that our our attitude colors and helps shape like there's confirmation bias we we look for what we believe if we believe something and we see something that supports it we'll we'll be like aha there it is and if we see something that doesn't support it we may be like well that's just an exception forget about that don't even <laughs> yeah. don't take that in and then also use that as data um because we aren't just you know perfect data machines all the time and so this is all to say uh, it's nice to, when you look at somebody else, like I was just talking, I, there was a comedian that I saw a while ago, and I think it might be Orny Adams. I, I'm not positive, but there, there was a movie that Seinfeld made called uh, Comedian, which was a documentary of him maybe 20 years ago, rebuilding his act after his first like massive, successful like HBO hour of comedy that he was retiring, and he's like starting anew. And so they were showing him, and then this other comedian, Orny Adams, was sort of like an unknown uh, compared to Seinfeld, certainly, and showing him trying to gain his first le- levels of success. And I think it's one of his jokes, and I, if I'm... I'm wrong. Well, that's fine. And I don't remember who it is, but there was a joke. Basically, the idea was his girlfriend maybe said uh, that he was projecting. Like when he said something, when he saw something negative in her, she was like, that's just you projecting that. And he's like, well, then I guess I'll just be like, you're beautiful and wise and funny and the best. And he's like, that's what I'm going to say to everybody now. I'm just going to like, that's what I see. I see you are, you know, all the things that he would want to be or want to think of himself. He's like, well, if I see that in other people, then I'm projecting that, which now to me, doesn't even and I'm you know I'm doing a this is many years ago and I'm either butchering or perhaps improving uh <laughs> certainly in paraphrasing this concept because it doesn't even necessarily seem like a joke and sometimes there are like things that are true are some of the funniest things but like if you if you call somebody an asshole, that could be an asshole thing to do. So you might be becoming an asshole by decreeing that somebody else is an asshole. Uh, not not to say there's any, you know, that there is or isn't any objectivity. Like there are things that are potentially more asshole-ish actions. But like I don't, I don't generally like to call people to call people assholes. It's more more like a you know a love the sinner, hate the sin. You know, like mm. love love the asshole, hate the assholery, or <laughs> love the asshole, encourage people in other directions from the assholery. And so similarly, on the flip side, uh, if you think somebody's nice, if you're like, oh, I think you're nice or interesting or th- or similar to me in this positive way, as you just uh, sort of you know reflected or I'm reflecting back to you it's like if two people are like I think that you you seem open and friendly and nice and like oh yeah well those then those you are both those things like uh well thank you very much (laughs) uh so well and thank you 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 started it um and but so even more than that the the point that you're making uh or the point that I'll make about the point that you're making is uh that does, I think that does happen to me sometimes. I'm not as, and here's the thing, it's where when you see, all we have is access to really our own uh, our own inner workings, and then we, we do sometimes project them out. So I, I might be hearing the words that you say, and then like, like sort of cut, like uh, clothing those ideas in like my own concepts to be like, uh, I don't have a problem with the way, like I don't have a problem with the way that I am, and you might not have a problem with the way that you are. And I'm like, why are we even talking about problems then? Who brought up problems? Doesn't even matter. Like, 
uh, a friend of mine, I'll get back to everything in a second, but uh, <laughs> my friend Zach, Zach Sherwin, a wonderful comedian, rapper, and other things uh, in Los Angeles, recommend his music very much. Um, Zach and I have this sort of concept in our in our friendship where we'll joke with each other, like if one of us does something like, and the other one is like, I'm not mad at you, but you will notice that I'm telling you that I'm not mad at you. And so normally when you're not mad at somebody, you just don't even think of the concept of being mad. So there must have been something to be like, oh, yeah, this thing happened and it made me feel a way and think a thing and say a thing. But it's not that thing. In fact, it's just sort of like rumpelstiltskinning it away, maybe like naming the the thing and then be like, oh, and now that takes away its power. So uh, the point is you saw you see something from me and you're like maybe that's like what's in me and now i see something in you i'm like oh yeah i definitely number one uh there is something there is a similarity and the thing that i can share about my own experience is that like for example on my podcast if i have a conversation with someone i like the the podcast is called broccoli and ice cream that i'm doing now and i have two conversations with the person one of them ideally or theoretically uh, geared towards discussing the work of their life. If they're a comedian, maybe comedy. Sometimes it could be the work that they're doing on themselves in therapy or in meditation. It could be like working at a relationship, like whatever work means. Like I'll ask questions sometimes that are like, uh, what, you know, what was the first creative work that you did? Like, or what was the first, you know, art that you made when you were a kid? Did you draw? Did you paint? Did you dance? Did you sing? Like, you know, do you still do those things? And then so that's one conversation. And the other conversation, I, I almost always start with the question of like, when you're not working, what do you do that you, uh, find brings you peace or calm or joy? And that's so broccoli is the work and ice cream is the joy. I never stick like my only goal is to have have these two conversations and I never uh force anything if if a conversation immediately heads off in a direction away from what it seems all of those topics like I mean I'm glad I it's a joy it's a joy for the conversation to be what it is and there's the joy and sometimes if I have to work at it more then there's the work like I will I will have com like questions in mind potentially like that will pot that maybe like that have always spurred conversation in the past. Sometimes one question will lead to an hour of conversation. Sometimes it takes seven questions to have an hour of conversation or a half hour of conversation or seven minutes of conversation. And, but it's not important for me to get to all of those things. So in a conversation like we're having now where, uh, there might be like, uh, another thing that my friend Zach and I do, uh, sometimes uh, he, as he is a rapper, he has written many wonderful raps. And we also sometimes freestyle together and or separately. Like if we're in a car on a trip, we'll put on a beat and, you know, just trade back and forth uh, the opportunity to do that. Sometimes when your friend is freestyling and he says a thing that you're like, ooh, I could have a good thing for that. But then if he keeps going and that moment is gone, now it's almost it's sort of, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can be like, oh, like you said three minutes ago, but the general goal uh, or the idea of freestyling is to be in the moment. So if your friend finishes on one thing, start from there. Don't start from a minute ago or five minutes ago. Uh, if in the course of, you know, of being in the moment moving forward, you then can construct and, you know, go back and rebuild everything that you wanted to that you could have. But 
you can't say all of the things all of the time for us. You know, we can mostly only say one thing at a time. And so if like if right now and if before, if I talked for, you know, five minutes or four, three, seven, ten, whatever number of minutes it was, however many points I made, if at every point, like in a freestyle, you're like, ooh, I have something that rhymes with this. Ooh, I have a thing that that makes me think. Ooh, I could respond to this. Like at a certain point, you're going to respond to either the one that uh, you, that stuck with you the most or you found the most important or the one that happened most recently, the one that you can definitely remember and so like when i'm having a conversation with somebody on my podcast i always definitely have the general gist in mind Uh, like the the guidelines i have the goals that i have are you know learning about who this person is how they work how they experience joy uh and then if they say something like you know i make collages i'll be like oh that's something that i have no specific real experience with for many years maybe i made them as a kid but like what does that look like and then you know that'll lead to a new branch of questions a new a whole new tree of questions sometimes um and so i'm not not i'm not I'm not always as concerned with getting back to the original, you know, to uh, to getting back to all of the points uh, because I know that I can't get to all of the points. And I'm just always happy to be, you know, in the middle of some fruitful endeavor, though I will say also in my comedy which over the course of time, like the hour that I'm bringing to London uh, this coming week it, it, it has been constructed over the past several years, uh, in, and it has within it, you know, sort of layers within layers, uh, kind of inception themes. Uh, and when I'm creating the stuff, uh, it doesn't always end, you know, with every parenthetical being closed. But when, once it's complete, that is the goal. The goal is to, you know, start and end, like where I want to start and end, though that is... I think similarly now uh, to like what I was saying, uh, similarly now to what I was saying before, sometimes you just keep talking and you're like, well, that doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> but the way that I was be pre Rory and post Rory, like they both ways are valid and valuable in my experience, like creating something in advance, planning and saying what I want to say is important to me. And also being open to the moment, being open to where the moment might take me either on stage, in my comedy, in music, in a conversation, in a podcast, in life, like that is also important to me. And those are things that uh, might seem like, you know, they could conflict at times. Uh, But if I don't get to say everything that I plan to say, either in a set, like then that's great because it means I said other things that I didn't plan to say and that's also a value so I sort of value these opposite things and but yes I would say in my ideal circumstance I would if I was going to start something uh, I don't necessarily know where I want to end up but Mm. I I start from I always strive to be talking about things that are either important uh, or meaningful to me or present, you know, something that's either, you know, funny or if it, you know, what, depending what, what kind of, if it's a conversation, if it's uh, a comedy act, um, the point is always to be, you know, where I am. Uh, I, and it's, I'm in the middle of this sense. I'm like, the point is always, I'm like, I guess the point is different. There's different points. There's many points, but whichever one I'm at is always the center. And then, but yes, I do like to, uh, a way that I like for things to go is to start somewhere, head off in many directions, and then, like, 
if you read a choose your own adventure book, like, you know, follow every point until the end and then return and then follow the next one to the end and follow the next one to the end. And be like, and now finally, the re- here's the, the, the real story, the whole thing. We've completed everything. Uh, so, yes, I, I, the, it's funny. I could, I could now say, and so I agree that my mind does work like yours. And then you could be like, oh, actually, after you said all that, I, I don't think we're the same anymore. <laughs> Well, there's obviously uh, there's a very clear uh, similarities there um, between that. But what one of the things that you mentioned was um, with the thing of obviously with conversation. You know, my podcast it is uh, very similarly like well, our podcasts have that um, are not dissimilar in that sort of way. Which is, you know, we it, I don't like saying interview because when it's interview, it sounds so informal. Like you sit down and like right today, I'm going to ask you these three questions and you need to answer them within this amount of time. And it, it's like no, I I, I just want to like oh, this yeah. podcast is actually <laughs> an excuse for me to just talk to people who are really interesting because like if I just hit people up that I find interesting on Twitter or something say hey like a lot of my podcasts are doing person I just go hey do you want to you know come sit down in my lounge and chat with me for like two hours people are a bit like I, I don't know you like what well, that's really weird but if I say I'm recording it and putting it online people are like you know what I will do that most of the time not always <laughs> but um in those conversations, I will say, like, there's, there's never a conversation I have where it's like, oh, man, I really didn't like that conversation with that guy. There were just way too many interesting things to talk about, you know. I had this itinerary of things, and because he was so damn interesting and he had so many other things to say, I didn't get to say these little five things that I wrote down when I was thinking about on the drive home or anything. So I do, I do completely get that with the whole... There's lots of things, and the freestyle rap is a very good analogy. Is that thing of like, yeah, when you were when you were saying uh, what you were just saying, there were many points where if you had have stopped, I could have gone, eh, jumping off point, and obviously it kept going, and then it's just pff, I can't even remember half of the things I was going to say. So that's correct. Um, I will ask though, uh, because this conversation is going to go on a crazy train off the rails thing into wherever which i'm happy about but before we do that i will just ask one question about you being a a comedian and then that'll be off as well um what actually was there a thing that actually made you start being a a comedian because obviously you say when you were younger you played the violin and you um created uh, the persona of myq kaplan uh obviously it's mike but it's um you know when you started, was it a thing like when when you were younger, it's like, oh, I kind of want to do stand-up comedy. You you watched a lot of them when you were younger and then your dream came to fruition or did you kind of fall into it or was it kind of like a culmination of you did those funny songs you say and like what was kind of the the thing that made you actually go, okay, I'm going to go to you know open mic nights. I'm going to start trying to write and, and that sort of jazz. What was kind of the, was there a tipping off point or was it like a consistent thing over your life of being a performer and whatnot? Uh, that's, the the question is interesting to me because of the all the ideas that it's spawning right now like the short answer is uh that i i didn't plan to be a comedian i had seen like some stand-ups uh but it was really that i wanted to play music uh and i had some songs that were funny and i was just looking for anywhere to perform my songs and so i looked i was in uh school in boston uh, going to college or university. And uh, I remember just searching. It was a little pre-Google, but, you know, it was like Yahoo or Hotbot or some some search engine. Jeeves or something. Yeah, I was like, yeah, Jeeves, will you tell me where uh, clubs in Boston are? Like, I looked for, like, music venues and just what whatever performance places I could. And this place, the comedy studio, uh, came up as an option of a place to perform. And I was like, oh. 
I didn't really know that comedy clubs were a thing. Uh, like it wasn't part of my like as a as a child, like my parents had like maybe listened to George Carlin. I knew who George Carlin was. I knew what Saturday Night Live was. And so I knew that like Norm MacDonald and Dana Carvey had had specials. I'd watched Paul Reiser from Mad About You. He had had a special, but stand up seemed like a thing that famous people did. And uh, and I didn't know that there were unknown comedians. I didn't know there were places that these people had started uh, that led them to eventually become as successful as they were in comedy and beyond. And so I was just starting from the ground up, not knowing anything, just being like, well, I know that I can go places and perform music. I didn't know this comedy club was a place. Uh, I asked them, can I perform my funny songs there? And they said yes. And then it was during the performance of those songs, or actually in between, like before and in between the songs, I would do what I would call now riffing because I didn't have material, but I would just talk to the audience uh, and sometimes I would say things and they would laugh. And that was a thing that, oh, this is a, a fun analogy that I'd never really thought of. Like, uh, before I ever had done mushrooms, you know, eaten psilocybin mushrooms, uh, I had read about the concept of enlightenment, let's say. I'd read about, like, mysticism, you know, and Eastern thought. Uh, I'd, I'd read these books by a philosopher named Raymond Smullyan, and one of them was called, the first book I found of his was This Book Needs No Title, was the name of the book. And there was a, a, a little story in it, a little allegory called Planet Without Laughter. And it was about, it was like, imagine a world where there was mostly no laughter. And uh, some people people knew that that laughter was a thing, and they knew what it was, but they couldn't necessarily produce it. They couldn't make themselves do it, and they didn't know how to find it. Uh, and there were maybe laugh masters, and it was an analogy to like the, a concept of enlightenment, a concept of you know mindfulness, and like maybe Zen Buddhism, where there were like you know Buddhist masters, and you th the idea of like how do I how do I find the meaning of life? Like how do I become enlightened? And like the, they would be like people would go in the story to the laugh masters and be like, how do I laugh? And then instead of they're like, is it like this? Is it like ha 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 ha? Like if you know what laughter is, which most of us do, and, and if you know what natural laughter feels like, you know what fake laughter is. You know that you can tell when somebody's not doing it, uh, and or not doing it correctly, or like that they don't get it. And so similarly, like there, so the analogy was being drawn that at the time. I didn't understand. I didn't. I I got the analogy intellectually, but I having never had had an ha, having not had had. There's a lot of hats. <laughs> I had. I had not had an experience uh, like like one that I would have with mushrooms, wherein once I had it, I was like, oh, that's what that story is about. I now. I'm not saying I'm not an enlightened master. I'm not you know uh, a, a wise man on top of a mountain. I'm I'm a I think a wiser person than I once was. Uh, at least like before I had the experience of doing mushrooms, I didn't have a certain way of thinking. And afterwards I did in this uh, a chop wood, carry water kind of way. And the, the way that's relevant is that it wasn't even a new experience. It was just a different understanding of an experience that I had been having. Like one of the ways that I felt on mushrooms was I would think about like different like sort of yin and yang type things that seemed present at the same time. Like I would be enjoying a moment. I would think of a th like a philosophical thought and be like, ooh, I want to remember this later. I should maybe write it down. But I was like, but if I go to write it down, then I'll be like, I'll lose 
the actual presence of the moment. Like when you see somebody like taping a comedy show, like I was going to uh, say, or taking photos of things all the time, like being in like a beautifully, oh, look how beautiful the sunset is. I'm going to pull up my phone and take a picture. And it's like, well, the act of taking out your phone and taking the picture is taking you out of the moment. And there's that weird balance of, do I want to capture this moment physically forever? Or do I want to just kind of bask in the beauty of the moment by, t- by actually living and experiencing it? I always struggle with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And well, and I hope that this helps because that that was something that I did both struggle and not struggle with because that was sometimes that would become sort of like the meditation that would happen in my mushroom brain where I was like, should I write this down? Should I just remember it? Should I be here? Like, and they're like, there's no shoulds. But and even if I, I don't remember what these ideas were, but now this became one of its own where I don't know if I ever wrote this down, but I didn't have to. Now it's like, this is a part of me. This idea of, you know, wanting to or needing to or striving to be in the present moment while also, you know, gathering these nuggets for the future, like imagining future moments. Like that is a a very standard human thing, like projecting ourselves into the future, wanting to have a good future where, but if we're like always planning for the future at the expense of the present, you know, we're all like, you know, our own time Jesus sacrificing our current life for our future well-being. Like when do you get the future well-being if you're always striving because once you get to that future now that future is going to be like well got a plan for later future and you know which isn't to say that there's the simplest answer of just like well just be a hedonist now just get get it all now just now 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 but that was something that at the time I was like oh now I can identify when something a certain thing happens in my mind when that kind of like sometimes when a joke happens when when you hear a joke or think of a joke or something funny happens and you're like, oh, there's something incongruous. There's like, you know, the difference between the expectation and the reality it is funny. And that that is like, uh, it's hard to describe with words completely, but it's something that I had experienced before Mushrooms. And, but now, but wasn't able to identify as a thing. But now after having done them, I could identify it. And I'm like, oh, I had the ability all along. I just didn't know it. And that is the way that I became a comedian was on stage saying things that were funny, being like, oh, I, I didn't plan to be a comedian. I didn't set out to become a comedian, but I found myself actively being a comedian or doing comedy. I found myself saying things and being in a moment where I was like, oh, this is the kind of thing that I was doing with my friends that maybe, you know, sometimes in a group of friends, you might, you might have friends that are like, oh, you should be a stand-up comedian. Uh, but it, it's funny because I actually had an experience when I decided that I did want to do comedy. I told my college buddies and one of them was like, why should you do comedy? Like, we are all funny. <laughs> like, he's like, you're not special in being funny. And I was like, at, I wish I'd had the wherewithal at the time to be like, oh, well, then we should all do comedy. It's not that I shouldn't. Like, I'm I'm the only one doing the right thing. Um, given the, the input, the data that if you know, if you're funny, do comedy if you want to. Like, obviously, that guy is a science teacher and he's allowed to be. I, he doesn't have to be a comedian. He's a funny science teacher and that's fine. And I'm glad that I didn't listen to him and stop being a comedian because, oh, yeah, every, if everyone's funny, then no one should be a stand up comedian is like a uh, sort of an absurd place to take that to. Um, but yeah, so sim- the one of the things that interested me uh, in your question was. Similar to earlier when you were like, 
I like try to think about where I'm going to end up and then I start and head in that direction and then get sort of, you know, waylaid by different digressions, different branches. I'm like, oh, I want to I want to go this way. I want to end up here. Like I when I I didn't have that. I mean, sometimes I might want to get a point across like now I'm endeavoring to get this point across and I think I'm going to. I'm like. (laughs) I, I'm getting this uh, part of the point that I'm getting across. I'm like, I will get to the end of this point about how I don't really care where I end. Like, because my initial goal was to become a musician. And then that branched off and became I became a comedian. And it's not that I'm, again, not a musician, but I'm professionally a comedian. And I'm glad to be, you know, feeding that. I'm glad to be fueling that because... Uh, like I have some jokes now about how uh, like wedding vows, you know, often are made like I promise to be with you. I promise I will love you. I will honor you. And uh, one of the jokes is about how like I don't know the future. Like I can only so my vows will be like I promise I love you now and I promise I loved you before. And that's two out of three. So that's like pretty good, you know, uh, as far as number as far as proportions go, that's it rounds up to one. Like I can't promise the future, but I can only. And there's a, a like if you know the common law marriage is one where you you're with somebody for a long long time. So I feel like I'm like a I never thought about this. I'm a common law comedian. Like I was doing comedy long enough that I'm like oh I guess I'm a comedian now. Like as opposed to when you start out doing a comedian uh, doing a comedian when you start out doing a comedian, uh, you're kind of doing that. You're kind of doing an impression of a comedian. You're like hey I'm on stage and I'm a comedian and people are you know similar to laughing. If you're if you're not doing it well, people may be like I don't know if you are being a comedian like the form and the function like the structure and like what fills it like you uh, chop wood carry water style you fill it by doing it like you fake it until you make it like that is how and so the question of when you become a comedian is actually kind of an interesting one like because you get introduced you're like your first comedian this open mic you know like you might be you're not just like i'm not a comedian yet you might be but ultimately like the truth of the matter it doesn't matter what you call yourself like what is is like the truth is the truth and so i didn't have the goal set out to be a comedian but it did start happening and then i was like oh and i like this i'm gonna run with this and then i did start you know building uh sometimes they talk about an improv scene as like building a plane while flying the plane and so it was sort of like that, like building a career from the inside or building not a career initially, but just building the experience, the the aspiration, the the fun, the goal, the joy of creating, like realizing like when some people are like, when did you know that you wanted to do comedy? And I'd be like, well, it was a little bit after I started doing comedy. <laughs> uh, I found that I was doing comedy and I was like, oh, I like what I'm doing. What am I doing? Comedy. <laughs> What's funny is because in um in your uh, special that's uh, <clears throat> the special that people can go check out and things, obviously you have a bit that I would say I wouldn't spoil, but I can't fully remember the clever parts or the punchlines of it, so <laughs> I couldn't spoil it, even if I wanted to. Um, but you do have that clever bit. Uh, it's near the start, I believe, about you talking about comedy and being like, you know, is it? Am I? You know, when is the only art form? I think you say, uh, you know, is the only art form where it's only applicable if you're actually making people laugh. Like if you're playing music in a room by yourself, you're still doing music but if you're just standing in a room talking to yourself and people aren't laughing then it's 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 a different thing oh yes one of the i will spoil one of the lines which is that if you see a movie and you don't think it's good you don't leave thinking was that even a movie (laughs) 
Me and my girlfriend watched that. I watched your special last night. And when you said that, we were cracked up. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and um, it's funny with... Um, I'll just get all the many tangents so we could go on. Um, one of the things um, which you brought up there, uh, which was uh, mushrooms. Now, um, I haven't done mushrooms. Um, I have been to Amsterdam and on truffles, which are similar-ish, huh. uh, I guess. Uh, they're, they're like a type of mushroom, kind of. I remember it was a lot of fun, and I was the, there was like a brown curtain in the room, and it was starting to glow. Like, it was brown, but because of, obviously, uh, the way your vi- uh, vision changes and things when you're on um, shrooms and other hallucinogens, it became purple, and then it was so purple, it was making the wall go purple. It was, mm. it was crazy, a lot of fun. But one thing I was thinking about with... Because um, I'm... Uh, I'm not going to go into whether or not I have done certain things, but I am interested, and I have been since a very young age, of just generally about drugs. I mean, in my, um, the term drugs is so bad, drugs. Um, When I was in secondary school, um, so when I was like uh, 14-ish, we had like a religious studies class, but the school we had uh, wasn't very religious uh, at all, in fact. So it was quite a secular religious studies class, more about morality, you know, we spoke about euthanasia, abortion, and that sort of thing. And um, one of the things we had to speak about was drugs, and we had to look into drugs and why they're bad, okay, and that sort of jazz. And it was like, I remember looking into them, and it was just so intriguing to me. Um, and it's similar in a way that religion is intriguing to me as well, which I, I'm an atheist. Um, and... It's about perspective, and one of the things with like uh, with drugs, it's it's obviously perspective shifter and changer and things like that. But one thing with mushrooms in particular that uh, intrigues me quite a lot is, um, you know, with spirituality and um, all the sorts of other things that can go along with it, and you know, uh, Mother Nature and you know, Earth being a potentially superorganism that we are a part of because humans are technically superorganisms because we've got like billions and billions of bacteria, and then obviously a gut biome is considered. Um, it's construed of you know even more uh, bacteria and then you've got your enteric nervous system which can affect mood and da, 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 hundreds of things but with mushrooms one thing i thought of uh, a little while back um i was thinking when people do mushrooms they generally become or more feel more one with nature you know you feel more interconnected with everything um and it's that kind of one with the universe thing with a lot of fungi um because fungi obviously are, are actually more like uh sort of mammals and things and living beings in air quotes than actual plants which i still believe are living beings but obviously plants breathe in carbon dioxide breathe out oxygen not technically breathe respire or whatever it is but um, uh, fungi you know breathe in oxygen and uh, breathe out carbon dioxide and things there's a lot of fungi like um, a lot there's a couple i know of which can like mind control there's one which is like a sapling i think it gets into like ants brains and then it makes them go up to like the top of a tree so then the sapling kind of comes out the top of their head and then you know it's, it's a mind control of the ant sort of thing um and what i was thinking with uh psilocybin mushrooms in particular was imagine if what they are actually doing when you consume mushrooms is they are actually mind controlling you while you're under the influence of them, but in a positive way. So you're consuming mushrooms and in doing so you become more introspective, you become more, you know, more one with the earth, you know, you become, oh, you know, the trees are alive and obviously I believe they are and things, but it's like, you know, the trees are more alive than I thought. I can feel their, uh, their connectivity and, um, you know, their root systems connecting, being similar to neuropathways in the brain and things. And I can feel that. And maybe that feeling of that and that sort of connection is a part of psilocybin mushrooms trying to mind control people to make them more okay with nature and therefore prolonging the life of mushrooms just like you know uh, also consuming them and you getting the good euphoric feeling and things but like I, I thought about that um 
well, as I said, I haven't, excuse me, ever done mushrooms, but when I heard about the sort of mind control fungi and things, I thought of that. Is that anything you've ever uh, considered or had any sort of uh, other epiphanies on hallucinogens? Uh, I've certainly had, th- it's interesting to think about epiphanies, uh, like from the future, because like while they're happening, they feel, you know, like, wow, like immediate and new because you're thinking a new thing. And now I'm like, oh, I've had, I've had loads of epiphanies. What are they? I don't know. They're just part of my everyday regular thinking process now, uh, which is the fact that we're, we are just a changing set of beings, not even, you know, of of cells and molecules and particles flashing in and out of existence, even within our own matter. In addition to all the, uh, gut biome and the, I have a, a new bit about uh, the uh, hundred trillion bacteria that are in our 30 trillion, uh, hundred trillion bacterial cells within our 30 trillion human cell body. And like our cells take up more mass, but theirs are certainly more numerous. Uh, so it depends. Hopefully, you know, we're voting by mass and not by number. Uh, but also, you know, and who are, who are we? Like, what is the question, the idea of mind control? Like, I hadn't thought of, Uh, that specifically uh i have heard about like these like the parasites that maybe i think get into cats and then maybe transfer from cats to people as well i don't know enough about toxoplasmosis and that sort of thing like a certain type of parasite that can there's one which makes uh it makes mice sexually attracted to the smell of cat urine and uh you know cats get i'm sorry a mice get mouse gets infected by this toxoplasmosis um parasite and then you know it gets sexually attracted to cat urine and then the cat obviously would likely kill it and eat it and then a cat stomach is the only place it can actually uh, reproduce and things and if humans get toxoplasmosis uh, it can make them uh, have worse impulse control be a bit more impulsive that sort of thing generally Oh, yeah. So that stuff I've read a little bit about. Uh, My friend uh, Shane Moss is a comedian who I've been doing some shows with recently. He's performing shows uh, that he it's called Stand Up Science, where he does he hosts uh, as a comedian doing a lot of material about science. Then he'll have two guest actual scientists on and present uh, something uh, from their research, not as comedy. And then he'll have another comedian on like myself. And then we'll all do like a panel discussion. So like I've learned a lot Uh, Shane. Shane himself has been he has a podcast called Here We Are where he interviews scientists uh lots of brain scientists social like psychological evolutionary scientists uh and you know f- figuring out things about like what what we are who we are how we are why we are uh how we operate and uh he is he's actually done extensive like research uh both inner and outer in psychedelics and did like a tour to show called uh, Good Trip where uh, it was like hours of just like sort of information, like sort of like a funny TED talk about uh, psychedelics, which I think he's actually coming to the UK also in a few months. So I recommend uh, either if I can get to him to chat with you, I'll, I'd be happy I to put you guys love in touch. To. Yeah, I'm more than happy to. And if he has a podcast, I'm more than happy to uh, oh, yeah. you know, mention that as well. It's all, all good. So that's here we are. And I guess the, my own thoughts now about what you're saying about mind control it's there's a uh my friend I would just say quickly uh, mind oh, yeah. control yes but i will say less like my i said mind control that's on me but I, I was thinking more of uh synergistic benefit you know mutual what's it called symbiosis there you go sure i mean i i wanted i guess uh i want to talk about the the words control like the word control is something that even all by itself 
Uh, my, so one other one other plug for a friend. Uh, Ramin Nazer is a comedian and an artist. He's actually done the artwork for my podcast and for my last album. He actually also made a coloring book for Shane's psychedelic show. And uh, he his art is wonderful. He's on Instagram. He's made books. He's uh, I, I love his it's philosophical. It's psychedelic. It's uh, funny and beautiful. And uh, Rami, I actually have one piece of art of his hanging up in my house where it's like uh, the caption says, I love control. And then underneath it says, I wish I had some. And (laughs) it's just like a picture of a being sort of like seemingly falling through space, which is in some ways like what we're we're all just hurtling through space. You know, we are attached to this giant rock. uh, But, you know, who knows exactly where it's been, where it's going. Like, you know, we can get some idea about what it's doing with respect to the solar system, the other planets here. We can learn some things about like the same way that we can learn things about ourselves, even though ourselves are constantly, you know, changing, growing, growing in height as a child, growing in age. Age always, you know, growing like eventually entropically, you know, like falling apart, disintegrating physically at some point, though always having been made of some matter and some energy that has always been since, you know, the Big Bang or before, if that doesn't, if that even makes sense. And so similarly, you know, like scientists are trying to discover like, oh, if you do this here, can we replicate that? And you can, I think Ramin has talked about this on his podcast, the Rainbow Brain Skull Hour, uh, where like you can never, you're never exactly replicating anything because even if you you know all all the variables that you can control for you do but the earth is in a different place than it's ever been it will never return to where it was even a year ago even a day ago and so you know we can we can within context you know like in a room you can be like well i'm going to set up this room with this on the left and this on the right and then you could have another one that looks identical but you know is facing the other direction or is sideways or upside down and you know relative to everything in it you can you know the the closer you look at something then the uh the more differences you're going to find you know like you look at if every snowflake is unique every human experience every human made of all these different particles so at the questions of, you know, is is free will a thing? It seems like not, but it pays very much to act as though it does because you're like, well, it doesn't matter what I do then. I'll just, uh, you know, uh, lie around all day. Well, then that's, that's your determined fate. Uh, mm. But the so the question of what are we, you know, are are we choosing to do anything uh, like it seems like it? But, you know, if you you weren't you probably. Uh, didn't choose uh, I certainly don't have a memory of choosing to be born uh, you know maybe on some other plane maybe in you know in some other uh, dimensional context but it seems like I, at some point my consciousness just uh, you know uh, be you know heaped together like enough enough grains of existence uh, formulated into this being and here I am and so sort of uh, an analogy uh, a, a side uh, issue to what you're asking that I think will be sort of parallel in a way is that sometimes people talk about drugs as like mind altering substances and that I understand why it's called that but also everything is a mind altering substance like food in a very real way your mind is like I'm hungry and then you eat food and your mind is altered and granted it's like a much more like standard alteration you're like oh yeah I alter my mind every day three times a day or like some in smaller ways or you know I have one large mind alteration every night and then I I fast for the rest of the day 
Uh, and so similarly, obviously, like certain drugs uh, or substances or plants or fungus might uh, alter the mind in a, a different scope, in a, a different way than standardly. But also like meditation can also, you know, uh, mindfulness and just slowing down and letting go or being in nature without ingesting nature. And so like in the same way that mind altering substance both has meaning and in some ways, like, you know, everything is everything's meaning is potentially context determined. Similarly, like the idea of mind controller, everything is also hopefully symbiosis like that we're all striving you know as humans living collaboratively and then also uh you know farming uh or hunt you know hunting gathering whatever historically has been done to you know be like oh what do we need to do in our environment to uh continue to live and have an environment what what parts of the environment can we put into our bodies and you know uh act as a conduit for like there there are certain plants uh, I know, uh, like I've done ayahuasca ceremonies, and ayahuasca is a vine, comes from a vine and a leaf uh, grown in like South American jungles. It's, is that the one which is um, it's essentially DMT, but it's mixed with a special thing? Because if you eat DMT, your stomach doesn't metabolize it properly because DMT is in like loads and loads of other plants and things like that. Whereas if you mix it with this special kind of chemical, it's basically like a suppressant of that thing for your stomach. So when you consume it, it gives you a similar-ish sort of effect to when you smoke DMT. Is that? Yes, right. that yeah. is that is that. Yeah, DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca, and also it's present in our brains, and maybe what is what floods our brain when we die, and so also mm. like smoking or smoking DMT, drinking ayahuasca, or dying probably have some sort of you know uh, similar physiological effect of the same kinds of like hallucinations or lessons or you know experiences that one might have, and so I. If I understand correctly uh, from the the guide that I've talked to about who who makes the ayahuasca drink that I've drunk uh, is that like the the plants aren't killed in making it like they grow in such a way as to like it's it's useful. Like there are certain plants that it's when we you know, when we eat them or when we drink them, when we uh, they 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 grow and they have like the same like whatever information they have in their dna like has evolved over the thousands or millions of years like how however however long they've existed they've come to be in a place where they're like oh like some yeah maybe sometimes humans do this stuff and this is useful or like you know for some flowers they're like we need these bees to come get this and bring it over there uh and it is it's sort of like it's pretty it's a fascinating thing like all of the you know the scientific like cross species collaborations that do exist so it's certainly uh the idea that you expressed uh long story long uh of mushrooms being like hey if we help i mean it's sort of just it's like it goes along with the idea of like a nice person saying that another person is nice and be like well you're a nice person everyone's nice it's just like a positive feedback loop of of niceness and that's like the mushrooms are like oh we'll make you have these feelings and you'll and that'll be good and then you'll be like oh let's keep having these mushrooms and then everybody gets to keep being alive and keep thriving uh so Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I could have just said yes. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, but if you'd have just said yes or no, it wouldn't have been a very interesting uh, chat, would it? It's just like, do you believe that? 
Um, yes, yes, I do. Yeah. Ne- next okay, question. Next one. Yeah. <laughs> next question. Glad that we cleared that up. Nice and easy. Yeah, that's yes. definitely not a, a deep question with uh, when it comes to not used to speak about psilocybin, but also you know the idea of what is you know oneself. And you brought up you know free will and determinism, and is that whole idea, which is you know, does one ever actually do what? Uh, one believes them to be doing so like uh, the example i use for people who maybe a tiny bit confused confused is um t- uh, to, to put it in sort of an anal- analytical way is almost if every s- right i'll put it in an analogy because i love analogies and uh, it's one that i quite like to use i imagine humans uh say your personality or your consciousness however you, you one would like to frame it um as sort of a tree so and what it is is that when you're let's say born uh sapling in the ground and it grows and things and something like that now what happens is if we if actually let's change that i say your stump tree stump i'm doing terrible at this already <laughs> a tree a tree stump and you grow out okay and as you get older and things and if you do not have a traumatic childhood um for the first several years most people up to the age of four bar a few other things are going to be fairly similar to a degree and as you get older and more and more you know the the branches come out more and more leaves come out and da, da, da. and when traumatic or severely let's say bad even objectively but uh, the good and bad is a whole other d- discussion whether or not that's uh subjective you know good and evil sort of thing but um see some really bad experience happens to you and a traumatic and i use the analogy of like you know a tree and a thunderstorm happens and then a lightning bolt comes down and cuts one of the um cuts one of the, the branches off now that branch will then grow in either it won't grow at all any further that way or there'll be it'll grow in lots of other different ways but no it won't be the exact same way that it was and for every experience you have um it just is a way of your branches of your personality growing in a different way but the core individual that you are usually is quite similar the sort of the main trunk of the tree in a sense you know i've always been very talkative um i've always been quite extroverted and i've always had quite a thirst for knowledge and things like that now i'm not saying i was necessarily born with that i believe my dad was probably a key component in those sort of things but that part of me no matter how much i want to self-improve and want to make myself you know I'm quite confident and extroverted, but also I can be a bit of a know-all and I can talk over people and things. And so curbing that part of my personality does not take away from my general extroversion and thirst for knowledge and being a conversationalist. So each of the ways that one can sort of grow as an individual, the almost the tree trunk that is the air quotes core version of you is still there, but the other parts kind of uh, sort of branch out and things, you know. And with the determinism and free will, it's that thing of like, well, from that point, you know are you really in control of anything like the the stump the tree the stump is basically your genes which is obviously a combination of generally speaking mother and father and that makes the first sort of uh ingredients to make you and then the experience is up to the age of like if i say like six or seven where you have essentially no control in almost anything or obviously we don't really remember anything before four anyway so everything that happens to you up to like a certain point has already happened and then no control of your own so the individual that you are you don't have any control in being and then you only really get air quotes true freedom in probably i'd say when you're pre-teens and things like that once you actually can start making your own decisions a little bit more and that sort of stuff but then one can argue that you know you any decision you make you would as you are made in the way you are and all the experiences you've had to create you as that person means you're going to make that decision anyway you know if if every an example is if everyone who's ever worn a top hat has been awful to you eventually you are going to associate top hats with that bad thing and you can all you can look at that in like such an in like a ridiculously detailed level of just like everything that happens to you you are is gonna is what we talked about earlier like life is a perception of your own reality it's you know it's 
something happens to you and it's this say objective thing but because it gets translated into your consciousness in a certain way and you kind of then react to it which is a translation again and a conversion in a sense it's like you don't do you really have a decision like this conversation me being a podcaster you being a stand-up comedian you know we're both podcasters really and yours is much bigger than mine so it's uh you know being a podcaster or a stand-up comedian and things is like was it that we were always going to do that because of the people that we met and things did you actually ever really choose to want to be a stand-up comedian or was it just you fell into all these situations that you thought you chose and then actually made you one and it is that argument of people say well like well if it's determinism then no one can be punished for things and it's like yeah but then if you never punish anyone for anything bad then technically you know would that then change the whole determinism way things work and it's like this big old blah 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 i just kind of verbally waterboarded you there with things and stuff so thoughts <laughs> uh so i ha- here my first thought is Yes. And next question. Um, <laughs> but uh, here's uh, three things, I think. Number one, uh, the idea of uh, like a, a human being as a tree is interesting because thinking about like you've already, you mentioned the idea of like our, our neurons like are sort of, you know, as themselves sort of like tree like or like, you know, the a set of like roots and branches and twigs and things like obviously like in your head, there's, you know, billions of connections between these things. And as I understand it, like when you're born, like your brain you know, obviously doesn't have like all the information that you will gain by experience, but it has like more like the as close to unlimited potential as your brain ever will. And that like, for example, you know, a baby can uh, whatever language is spoken around it, the baby will learn that language effortlessly if all goes according to plan. And if there's multiple languages spoken, then they'll learn multiple languages as long as it happens within the time that that is standardly so, like up until age six or seven. Uh, And then after that point, those like receptors either like shut down or go away. Like the more choices that are made, then the more doors are closed, the more pathways are like sort of darken. And, you know, and you can't keep them all active all the time that I, I don't know what that would even like be or look like because you will have certain specific experiences and you won't have other ones. So you won't be able to do everything in the world. Uh, you will do certain things and then you will become uh, whoever, you know, whoever you are. And uh, I think that Mushrooms actually does a similar thing like temporarily, which is also it shuts down certain pathways uh, and then the the other ones that aren't shut down are sort of like elevated so that the experience you have is like a more in some ways like uh, I feel like sometimes more confident about the thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, this definitely this thing like and without any of the potential like anxieties that also would have been lighting up had that not been the situation, which you can also maybe yeah, again perhaps train your mind to do uh, with mindfulness meditations and other such things. It's not only like uh, mushrooms that can do that, but it was just an interesting thing like that. Uh, going from baby to non-baby or going from, you know, non-mushroom to mushroom. It's like a similar idea that like constraints, like there being less possibilities sometimes opens up more, you know, uh, more possibility in a way. Like if you're, 
actually your podcast, like when you described to me uh, that we'd be having a conversation and we could talk about anything, like the idea of talking about anything, like, of course, that's true all the time. But I, I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder what we will talk about, as opposed to if somebody says, this is what my podcast is about, then you could talk for an hour about that or two hours about that. Uh, and I mean, I think that uh, like you did, like we did both come into this with the ideas of what we might talk about. You have, you know, some, uh, some questions about like, you know, who I am, what I do. And then that leads us to where we've been. Um, let's see. So that's, that's one of three things. Another thing is, uh, I, re I think I, I've got to find this again, but I think I read a study once or read that there was a study. I think I read a lot about studies a lot more than I read studies, <laughs> but the idea was, uh, I think, longitudinally, they followed uh, like people from childhood into like late adulthood, and they it was like a personality study to see like is there something like you say like you're you know you're still a young person but you're like I've been this kind of person for as long as I can remember, uh, and there was something and that might be true I don't know if this study will like counter that idea but the the thing that I remember the takeaway was that there were like personalities that babies have or personalities that you have as a small child. And then they looked at those personalities or certain characteristics compared to who the people ended up being and that there was no correlation. Like that the person that a person was when they were 70 or 80 like could not be predicted by what they were like as a child. Though I think I've seen other studies that show like if there are three main personality types, like this one ends up in jail the most or this one ends up, you know, with this dietary situation or what it might be. Uh, and now if I, the third thing that I think I can, I think I can do it based on the last thing that you said, I'm stalling. <laughs> I'm hoping that it's going to, well, if you don't think of it, then I'll quickly say one Please. interesting thing as well is um, obviously every aspect that comes into your life that one doesn't control. I have a, a good a good example for people is um, illness. Uh, people have got um, illnesses from when they're younger. Like I've got a couple of friends who've got like, immune disorders and things. That meant at a certain age, they couldn't go out and do this thing or couldn't do that thing. And therefore them not being able to do X thing because of some sort of constraint or that which wasn't their control, which then means that they then went into a different pathway. And that's even a, even more sort of taking a step back one layer away from like, you know, determinism, free will and things. Yes. And while you were saying that, I listened completely and also did remember. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. In, in fact, two other things. One is about the heap paradox and one is about punishment. Uh, punishment, the idea of, you know, uh, when you said like, if there is determinism, then why then it doesn't seem in some ways right to punish someone because they are not in some ways responsible uh, for their actions. Because I, I, I took a, a class in uh, ethics in college where we discussed one day like a, hor a horrendous crime that had taken place, like a horrendous uh, like murder and the. The description was that the the murderer had just like callously killed these two people and then just sort of sat in their car eating their lunch like while their their bodies were just there uh, and seeming like, wow, this person, perhaps they're a sociopath, a psychopath. Perhaps they uh, they certainly like were like, wow, like that per like does the, the question was like, does that person deserve the death penalty? Like, could that person what is uh, what should happen? 
and like I'm uh, opposed to killing in all ways. Like I don't want that person to have done that killing. I don't want that person to be killed. Like there's most people, there's a lot of people who even have lost, you know, family members to murder who don't want the murderer killed because that doesn't, it doesn't bring their family back. It doesn't like adding more killing doesn't usually like make it better. And in my, you know, uh, anecdotal and I think, uh, I'll say at least anecdotal studies uh, and and things that I've read. But uh, the next day in class, and speaking more to that, we read about uh, a family where, like, the father was abusive and scared everyone else in the family, many children, including uh, a child that was born prematurely because the father kicked uh, his wife in the stomach, and uh, she had this baby early and she nobody was allowed to touch the child no one was allowed to show it any physical or otherwise affection and because uh the father thought it you know was not his child and so that kid just grew up with no physical manifestations or otherwise of love and we learned later that uh that child was the person who had grown up to be the killer the day before and so we're like well of course that child is deserving of like of sympathy of empathy of love of care like of and how how could we of course now knowing that child's beginning like that child didn't choose that didn't choose that life and every step of the way which i guess is sort of the heap do you know the heap paradox which is i'm not aware of that now imagine like a heap of sand uh how many grains are in the heap like how many how many grains does it take to be a heap? It can't be one. Like one grain isn't a heap and two grains isn't a heap and three isn't. But the question is, which number grain is it then? If it's oh, a so thousand. Like, is it a thousand or is it 999? And there's like, where is it actually? And then if it isn't, if it is 999, then is it 998? And you can kind of go back. It's almost like yeah, the, the, the infinity of decibels almost in a way. Exactly. And so similarly to the question of like, uh, at, as a child, as an infant, you have no at some point you have no consciousness you have no control you have no anything and then at a certain point you do like what point is that and then at what point do you have ethical responsibility like that was the question in this case like at what point like we say you know sometimes oh 18 that's an adult 21 that's a different kind of adult 16 sometimes 14 oh if it's a heinous crime then it might maybe even you you treat a uh, child as an adult you uh what is it charge them as an adult and well the question is i remember there's like a greek uh saying i heard that was like archimedes struck the child no archimedes struck the father when the son swore and because at a certain point you know in early on in life you are, are literally you know part of your your mother part of your parents part of like the the people that created you and then the people that are responsible for nurturing you, hopefully literally nurturing you, uh, you know, emotionally, physically, uh, in all the ways that are necessary to become. And we all have ways in which that hasn't happened because our parents were also like everyone is imperfect there you know there is has been no perfect human being and everyone is like you know society is moving hopefully forward hopefully like that you know there are these there are definitely uh you know positive things and there are definitely things that you can point to be like well that's that's still not great or that's not as good as before though there are a lot of things that are better than a hundred years ago or you know that we're happy to be living here now than a thousand years ago or uh, and but then obviously it's also goes back to like the question of, like who are you like there's people who are now living in some ways today worse than some people were 
a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, worse by whatever objective measures you're saying. So, uh, yeah, the question you can go back if you're like, oh yeah, I am definitely choosing what I'm choosing now of my own free will, but like, okay, but that's based on, you know, where your neurons were yesterday and yesterday and yesterday. And you can trace it back certainly to a point where you don't even exist, let alone have control over your thoughts and actions. Yeah, exactly. And with that uh, thing that you said about that uh, person who is, you know, uh, had no nurturing uh, father and then he ended up killing people and things like that. Uh, one thing I thought of is it's almost like, uh, it can almost go into the AI sort of big debate um, is if you if I use a, a computer as an example, if you code a computer to do a certain thing and then it does that thing, then you can't necessarily blame the computer for doing that. Well, however, when it's people, you can. And once again, I don't know the thing. It makes me sound like I'm saying, you know, uh, in in a sense of like it's definitely determinism and i'm saying that the thing is with a lot of these things i think and a lot of well, i mean these sort of discussions are very good thought experiments i think it's quite interesting to it allows one who, people who haven't heard these sort of conversations before it allows them to kind of think about certain things differently which can assist in other manners just obviously with you being a musician that's obviously that helped you be a stand-up and things because of performing in itself and creating something is you know hand in hand with being a comedian because you do both of those things so it is that the idea of you know what with a determinism free will that sort of thing it's not i'm not saying it is definitely determinism or is you definitely do have free will you know it it's that almost um as a tweet of yours which is your pinned tweet uh which i'm not gonna i can read it but i'd have to look it up but i imagine you know what it is on your twitter um, uh, yeah, I can certainly. Because I just think that's brilliant. I was I want to certainly slide that in at some point. I want you to say it because oh, I just yeah. think it's fantastic. I think a lot of people have probably seen it. Someone on my Facebook shared it like a couple of days ago, weirdly enough, with a screen oh. cap, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to talk to that guy soon. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, things to remember: number one, you exist. Number two, you matter. Number three, others exist. Number four, others matter. Number five, maybe nothing is real. Number six, act like it is just in case though. And uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, it is what I believe. Uh, and it seems like it must be, you know, when I'm, when I offer all the possibilities, I'm like, it must be true that either this or the opposite of this or some third option or beyond or a thing that I haven't thought of must be, I think I've covered uh, all or most of the bases. And I'll also add uh, to your to respond to your idea that uh, of course it makes sense why we one wouldn't blame a computer for doing what it was programmed to, but one would uh, like you can't you do blame a human or you can blame a human. You also don't have to like there's that you know, this famous you know Rumi poem about uh, you know beyond the the concepts of good and evil there is a field I'll meet you there, and that the idea of Punishment, like there's a wonderful uh, HBO show that I don't know if is available over there called Wyatt Snack's Problem Areas, where Wyatt Snack, who used to be on The Daily Show, uh, covers, among uh, many topics in this first season, every episode deals with police policing in some way, police brutality, police as it intersects with uh, homelessness or mental health, and in one uh one episode he discusses uh, i'm gonna not get the name exactly right but it's a a thing that focuses more on literal rehabilitation uh rather than punishment uh, and so there's like a program in which uh if the victims the fam the, the victim's family uh agree to sit down with the perpetrator of a horrible crime a murder uh then 
everybody benefits. Like they get to have a conversation, they get to understand, they get to express their feelings. Uh, you know, if the if the murderer is remorseful, if the the family like there was the case that they I saw on the show, a it was just like a young a young man who had killed his girlfriend and her parents like don't you know they don't hate him. They were like very sad. They and maybe were angry at points, but he is remorseful and he would have gone to jail for 40 years. But they went through this program uh, where they they sat down and had like a mediated conversation, uh, maybe more than one. And then he his sentence was reduced to 20 years. And that's still like I understand it's good to have if people uh, harm people. It's good to not just be like, well, just you can't do anything. Just let them go. Uh, but like, you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody and they don't treat you the way that you want to be treated, like, let's say not, you know, physically abusive. Uh, but even just like you you get to decide like, oh, I don't want to be near this person. I don't want to spend time with this person. And that's sort of like what society is doing for like more extreme cases. We're like, okay, well, let's, what is the best way that we can protect everyone and also encourage like to educate and rehabilitate and like, especially for crimes where like the victim is the perpetrator, or, like, you know, drug crimes, that sort of thing. Like uh, as a, for people who are either addicted to something or mentally ill and, you know, being in jail, like with, uh, other like differently or different kinds of criminals like people who are dangerous in ways that uh, these people might not be like there's so many uh, like so just to have the concept of like not blaming like the uh, so when you said like you know you don't blame a computer but you do blame a person I'm like well watch this like some people are like stupid computer and also <laughs> uh, you can be like I don't you know like this this family didn't like the concept of blame like Though we only have like words really to communicate and they don't always do it. I'm like, it's not that the person is or isn't to blame or responsible, uh, but there's and it, the thing is, if somebody's like, well, this person had these experiences and now we understand why they behaved in this way that caused this harm. And so now that we under if we understand that more and more, it doesn't mean that we oh well now that we know like it's black and white the other thing like oh nothing is black and white so we we have no capacity to do anything um it's the, the more understanding we have the more nuance uh we can gather like the the more we can hopefully move forward in kinder and more understanding ways and i do think that like con even conceiving of you know uh, like the uh, prison as punishment, like if we can conceive of it differently, like I think there's like Scandinavian countries where like the models of of imprisonment uh, and the thoughts behind it. Like I think I read about somebody who like escaped from a prison there and like here you would get extra time uh, for escaping. But there they're just like, we understand why you'd try to escape, like come back and just finish up the thing. And there's like no extra, like you're not bad. You're not additionally bad for not wanting to be in jail. Uh, and you're not, you know, the question of like, is a person bad? Like we're all, you know, we're all made of the experiences that we had. And some of us had more fortunate inputs than others. It seems.
Mm. And also there's that other thing as well, which uh, we haven't touched on, which is, you know, uh, once again, in air quotes, like a faulty brain. You know, we spoke about the neurons being connected and things. And obviously uh, psychopathy, when one is a psychopath, that's usually a huge lack of empathy. And, you know, you kill someone. If, if so Not every psychopath is a killer and murderer, I'd say. But, you know, if there is an example of a psychopath who c- kills people and shows no remorse at all, it's like, well... If you don't have that proper neuron pathway or part of the brain which is teaching you empathy, then yeah, why would you? I mean, it doesn't make it right, but then it, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you can. Can you blame them? Yes and no. And it's it's. I think one of the issues um, which this world is facing a lot, which is what I like about sort of long form conversations like this, which I think really helps flush things out, is. There's never really uh, a yet like a, a black and white yes or no answer for anything. You, you know, I mean, th- there are there are the yes. odd things. Yeah, and it, it, there are the odd things which one, for example, you know, this is a very controversial one, but like rape, I would say there's never a time you can justify rape. However, now this is a very controversial thing, and I apologize if I trigger anyone. Rape is bad, but. There are undoubtedly children who have been born who have brought uh, happiness to their parents' lives due to the rape. Now, I'm not saying that the rape is a good act, but what every every single thing in life has a different perspective. Every single, even language, you know, where we say, you know, is something right or is it wrong? Well, almost right and wrong is looking at like a 2D sort of spectrum. And then it's like, well, you could add this third dimension, which is it's right, it can be right and it can be wrong. And it's just like, what about the fourth dimension and other dimensions you could add to things? And it's like, you know, nothing is black and white. You you need to flash out these ideas. And you and I can talk about morality, free will and determinism and all these things for forever let's say you know we could become the greatest philosophers of all time about that that not only doesn't it doesn't mean that we've come to the air quotes correct answer but exercising that part of your brain and discussing these things is interesting and other people hearing them is too uh i agree and i i will offer you now a what i think could be a more at least or a differently valuable uh anecdote that i think makes the same point without as much controversy uh, potential for like and not only just controversy but you know like there's i've i have had i've made jokes uh not about you know sexual assault as in you know making light of it like i think comedy like any art like can discuss any and any any thoughtful people hopefully can discuss you know any topic uh and it doesn't mean that Everyone who hears you talk about it will agree with you or agree that you're doing it as thoughtfully as you want to be or that and you might not think that you like there's there's all kinds of things. But I guess the the thing that I'll add is uh, Stephen Colbert. I read an interview with uh, that he grew up with, I think, maybe maybe like around seven siblings and uh, that his father and two siblings died in a plane crash when he was a teenager and that was, you know, a horrible thing to deal with. And that his mother was a religious woman and she was she would say things like and believe things like, what is this in the uh, in in comparison to eternity? You know, like this is a small thing, like obviously in the uh, and I, I'm I might be paraphrasing that incorrectly, but that she was like never broken, he said, or never bitter. She was broken, but not bitter. She was, you know, destroyed in a way. But. Uh, and it also, it impacted him and it made it so that he was like, well, what can anyone do to me now? Like the worst, one of the worst things possible has happened. Uh, and he then got into improv in college, I believe. And then, 
uh, learned how to like, you know, that part of doing improv is bombing. And that's like a much different kind of worse experience. Uh, you know, if you've if you've never experienced like the loss of a loved one uh, and you imagine bombing in front of an audience, you're like, oh, that sounds terrifying. But for him, like one of the things was he's like, well, this is nothing literally you know almost literally nothing and you like he's like you learn to love the bomb love that bombing and then that's what helps you get better and then you know years and years go by and he his career builds and his artistry builds and you know now at the time of the interview he's in his maybe 40s or something and he has uh, a family that he loves he has a career that he loves he loves making the art that he loves and he's grateful as a human being and he's grateful for everything that led to that point at this point now including the ultimate bomb which was his father and siblings death uh, and he, so he's now grateful to this horrendous tragedy that impacted his mother and himself and his family and like so it's I feel like that gets the same point across that he he's like I'm not like I would never wish for anyone to experience this kind of pain uh but given that I did experience this pain it impacted me and I you know I had to accept it and I had to like I learned and I grew and I became the person I am in part because of it and so you know, I'm, the question then like all kinds of like science fiction and fantasy movies were like, oh, if you could go back and, you know, undo something, who knows what that would affect. And th that can be like, you know, in some ways, quote unquote, fun thought experiment. But uh, there's one one other thing I'll add about it is there's a, a quote I love from the book, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, which is uh, the greater that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. And I love it, and it doesn't necessarily help you when you're experiencing the intense sorrow, but from a distance and from looking back in my own life at experiences that I've had that were painful or difficult or challenging, like the idea that a challenge can be a teacher, the, the idea that I believe in Chinese, the word for crisis and opportunity are either the same or related in a way that there can be growth. It, and obviously that's not a thing to say to somebody at their father's funeral, uh, <laughs> but I also look at it like when sometimes like a heck, a, a much lower stakes version of this, like one time a guy like said something at a comedy show while I was performing and I said something back that was funny and people laughed. And then he said, he was like, well, it's a good thing I was here uh, because if not for me, then you wouldn't have said that funny thing. And I was like, well, I would have said other funny things though. And now you won't hear what those are. So you didn't do the right thing, but, and I get, you do get a good looking back. You get, you get either a good story in that situation or growth in another situation or, you know, our whole society is built on like uh, all of our societies, you know, all the world as it is now is built on the pain and suffering of, you know, whole peoples in the past, genocides and murders and, you know, slavery and, you know, sexual assaults and all kinds of things that don't necessarily that don't say like well we have there's joy now so it's good that those things happened no like those things happened and it's good to like learn from them and strive to not repeat them moving forward like if somebody's like oh you got a great story from a heckler last night i still don't want a heckler tonight <laughs> i still don't want anyone else to you know, if you ha gain epiphanies because you get cancer and you survive it i don't want to uh, I don't want everyone getting cancer so they can get these epiphanies. I don't want every marriage to face an infidelity so that they can grow from it, even though some marriages do grow from an infidelity. So like looking 
that's the thing about like fate exists looking backwards i think you're like oh yeah of course of course that happened that way because that is what happened but it doesn't exist looking forwards or certainly from our human limited perspective we can't know it well, it's it's interesting you bring up that um, the Stephen Colbert thing because um, I will say something about myself that you uh, probably aren't aware of, and don't worry, I'm not a uh, offender or anything like that. Uh, my dad died uh, almost six years ago um, of cancer, and I spoke about it on the podcast. There's a podcast I did, a number thirty or something like that, which is literally me and my brother just talking about it uh, completely. And um, one of the things I say to people uh, about dad passing away was, it was the worst thing that has ever happened to me but it is the best thing that's ever happened to my character and me as an individual because I would never wish anyone's parent to die upon them. Obviously, hopefully they will someday because if, you know, your uh, every parent's worst nightmare is their child dying before them. But, you know, it's sooner than one would hope um, is obviously your parent dying sooner than one, than one would hope their parent to die is obviously very unpleasant. I would never wish that upon anyone, but it is really... I wouldn't be where I am today without that. You know, that completely changed my perspective on everything. It, it changed how I uh, look at situations. It made me a lot more optimistic, you know, and things like that. It's made me go, okay, well, yeah, frankly, life can be soul-crushingly shit and unfair, and that's that. But life can also be, like, suddenly, surprisingly beautiful. You know, the, the times where you're in the most darkest hours, you can still have the tiny shimmer of light, and that alone can be enough to really pull you through stuff. So that, and that uh, Stephen Colbert anecdote is true. I, I completely agree. You know, I would never wish that upon anyone, but it, it has kind of put things into perspective, which is just like, you know, for me, it's, well, life is short and can be shit, you know, and so I might as well be nice to people. Like, life is going to do horrible things to people as it is why would i want to be horrible to people if you know i don't know what people are experiencing i don't know what people are living i don't want to make their experience worse one i'm just as you blink it back to what you said much earlier in the podcast you know why not just be nice to people you know it's someone's an asshole to you okay is being an asshole back to them actually going to help anyone or is it just going to mean there's now two assholes there rather than one you know and you can i mean one could even argue you could be at the moral high ground and you know you get that good feeling of feeling like you're better than someone by not you know, lowering yourself to their level but excluding that specific part of it is that sort of a thing and you know we're coming we've been chatting now for almost two hours and it has shot by um and i loved this conversation and i definitely want to talk to you about this more i want to see is there any sort of uh final thoughts uh to kind of wrap up it could be building off what i just said or uh anything like that um just a sure. sort of a last few minutes before uh wrap up uh yes i mean it's been uh it's been great. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity and the openness and uh, my sincerest condolences for the loss of your father. I Thank you. And, uh, and congratulations to the growth of your character. Uh, and uh, of course, we all like that we all experience some, you know, losses and challenges. And we don't know, like, you know, we talked for most of this time without me knowing that specific thing about you. And we all go through life not knowing the things about other people. Like, we're all dealing... There's a thing I heard once, I don't know the original source, but I heard it on the Dear Prudence podcast, which I like a lot. It's an advice column and podcast. And uh, one of the guests, I think, said, like, the, the context was... Like, imagine looking at, uh, some people look at, you know, photos on Instagram of other people having a good time or Facebook profiles and like, oh, they're all having, what a great life they're having compared to my life. Uh, and the advice was, don't compare your insides to somebody else's outsides or th their outsides to your insides. Uh, because you, again, you only know your 
subjective experience. You don't know anything else objectively about anyone. Like, like imagine what you're going through your worst day. Somebody else, somebody else is going through something worse right now. Many people, uh, you know, at, at, at every point, you know, people will like lose family members, will lose friends, will like not get things, uh, will lose jobs, like will whatever it is, uh, there is so much uncertainty, and the only thing that we have control over, if we have control over anything, which we might not, is our own uh, reactions, our own thoughts, our own behavior, our own uh, potential understanding. And so the idea of uh, what, would, you know, the it's there are all these, like, simple, like, slogans that are much, that they're simple but not easy to apply consistently and remember when it's difficult to but like you know the only thing like be the change that you want to see in the world like if if you see problems like think are what are the problems that i can address within myself immediately you know like like put on i talked to a friend on my podcast the other day but you know putting on your own oxygen mask first to be like you know as opposed to it's great to go out and try to help people it's good it's important it's important to like to rally and protest and if you have uh, if you have, then help those who have less. Help people, and also help your help people, and include yourself. Like be be helpful and kind to yourself as much as you can, if you want to, and also to others. Like don't help others at the expense of yourself completely, and don't uh, and certainly don't help yourself at the expense of others completely. If you have to do one, I guess do expend yourself completely and uh, and help others. But uh, I think you can you can get keep a little something keep a little something for yourself. And, keep it balanced. Uh, yeah, and that's what yeah. life is about. Life is just all about balance and moderation in in every facet. You know, you can. It's nice to have a few drinks with some friends, or smoke a bit of this, or do a bit of that. But if you, for example, with drinking, if you drink every single moment of every day, it's most likely going to suck. And it's with everything. You know, if you are spend 100% of your life exclusively doing really nice altruistic things it's quite likely that the other aspects of your life are going to crumble and that it's the same with almost everything isn't it it's just life is all about balance it's true though i do i do think that whenever i you know i think that i i certainly am not doing uh, exclusively altruistic things but when i do the altruistic things that i do it certainly makes me feel good if not only an ego, uh, certainly some of it's like, I'm like, oh, good. I feel like I'm doing a right thing, a kind thing, a good thing. And that's not, that. that's certainly not the worst place to start from. Like, I'm not going to be like, well, I guess I shouldn't donate to this charity because I'm really only doing it so that I'll feel like a better person. Better <laughs> to be honestly a bad person than, you know, fakely a good person. No, no, like definitely, uh, Fake a smile once in a while, and that actually makes you smile for real a little more. And you know, and it is there is research to show that helping others does make us feel uh, better than just helping ourselves. So I think the I guess the final thing, the final maybe final final thing I'll say is a, a thing that I think about is I've heard like the Buddha sometimes would give one piece of advice and sometimes would give a conflicting piece of advice and people would be like well which one is it and it it depends on your circumstances like some people might might need to hear relax and other people might need to hear hey like buckle down and one person might need to hear one at one point and another at another like so whatever resonates for you at a moment and i do think that like right now 
like it's it's possible that like if you don't need to hear like help people then great then you're helping people if if you're like hey you know whatever whatever arises in you whenever you are like angry or sad or feeling a way that isn't your favorite like I hope that you can uh, address it as best you can. I hope you can help yourself or seek help from uh, friends or professionals, loved ones or strangers. And uh, and we are, you know, we're all we're all here. And for now, in it, in it, we're in it together. And it is the universe. So it's difficult. You can't argue with that, or you can, and that's fine. I don't mind if you argue. <laughs> and that is a perfect way to end it well before we go um just to remind everyone so your stand-up special your podcast where everyone can find you the dates in london and then we'll wrap it up sure uh if you're in london uh 2019 february 26th through march 2nd that's this coming tuesday through saturday i'll be at the soho theater in london uh, if you are anywhere listening uh, to a podcast, you could listen to my podcast, Broccoli and Ice Cream. Uh, it's free wherever podcasts are free. And also you can get bonus episodes on Patreon or Kickstarter Drip. Uh, my special, Small Dork and Handsome, is on Amazon and all the rest of my albums. Uh, the most recent one is No Kidding. Before that, Meat Robot and Vegan Mind Meld. And then also some music albums that I've put out. You can get by just putting Mike Kaplan, the way I spell it, into... Uh, iTunes or wherever you get your albums. And that's perfect. And what's your and your Twitter handle is just your name, isn't it? M Y Q K A P L A N. But I'll put yes. it in the description and stuff. Wonderful. Are you on Instagram and stuff as well? Yes. Uh, where wherever most places on the internet, if you put that that name in, you'll find me. Cool. Pornhub it is. Um, wonderful. <laughs> well, thank uh, thank you very much, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Same here. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. Um, as we discussed in the podcast, be sure to check out any of Mike's other works, including his podcast, Broccoli and Ice Cream, um, his stand-up special, which is on Amazon Prime, as well as some of his comedy albums, which are on Spotify, Apple Music, and all those usual sort of music places. Coming up in the coming weeks, uh, I am not 100% sure what is going to be coming up. Um, I have quite a few episodes recorded with several different people, including still the one with the uh, Bill from the Church of Satan, which I'm pretty tempted to release part one of next week. Um, I've also got um, a chat I did with Heather Vickery of the Brave Files podcast. Um, there's Beth Crane of We Fix Space Junk. I've got the two-parter with her recorded. Um, and then coming up, I've got a few more um, podcast recordings as well, as well as I imagine I'll be doing another Science But Simple soon. Um, and I've, yeah, I've got a few other recordings in the pipeline. So we will see where that all goes. There's not much else to say, really. You know, follow us on the usual social media places, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm a lot more active on uh, Instagram. I post, you know, occasional movie reviews, TV series reviews, snippets of the show, and, you know, upcoming ep new episodes and things like that, and uh, the occasional photos of my general life. Um, Twitter's a bit more for sharing other people's, you know, podcasts and things like that, a bit more of the community element, and Facebook, I don't use that much. Um, but I do post new episodes on there and the occasional movie review, so... Any of those to follow us on is very much appreciated. And as always, reviewing on iTunes is incredibly appreciated. But the thing that's appreciated the most is sharing with your friends and family and other people you know. Just getting the show out there. You know, as I always say, 
I don't think every episode of the show is going to appeal to every person, but I think that there's enough different episodes with varied guests that I think there's going to be probably an episode that's going to appeal to relatively everyone. So, you know, if you are a listener, who, or if you are a regular listener, or even if you're a newcomer, check through the back catalogue, see what there is. Even early episodes are really, really good as well. There's a wide berth of different things. Um, I think it's wide berth. It might be wide girth. I'm not sure, but saying wide girth is a really peculiar thing to say out loud if I'm not talking about penises. But anyway, um, I appreciate any of you listening. Please share it with people you know. Every episode is generally different, or rather, there's a lot of variety in between the episodes, so if you see anything you like, send it to someone. You know, I don't expect everyone to like every episode. Um, I'm going to end it now, because this podcast is very long, and anyone listening this far is a saint for listening to me talk so much. So, (laughs) thank you very much, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you listening, especially this far, and I'll talk to you all next week.